2: Welcome to Strange Familiars, covering a range of topics from the paranormal, cryptids, mythology, the occult, hauntings, UFOs, weird history, and folklore. Wherever you are listening to Strange Familiars, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, or any other service, please subscribe and click the like button, and share the Strange Familiars pages and stories on Facebook. And other social media. If you have experienced something strange, or if you know a story you would like us to cover, email strangefamiliarspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars. And of course you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com.
1: Welcome to Strange Familiars. For those of you who are interested in my music, I have a new CD album of folk songs coming. I should be releasing that in June. The songs are, for the most part, about various topics we cover here on Strange Familiars. So it's kind of paranormal folk songs. Some of the songs were written about personal experiences I've even talked about on the show. So if you follow that closely, uh, you might recognize some of the stories in the songs. The album is called Fallow. I'm also releasing a 5-inch lathe cut record at the same time. This will have two songs that are not on the CD. This record is called Haint. There will be 25 copies only of this record. Strange Familiar's patrons will get the first shot at the records. I will put a patron post up soon with a link to somewhere you can reserve a copy. Lathe cut records, for those of you who are not familiar, are individually cut records. They're not pressed like normal vinyl. The sound quality isn't as good as a standard record, but I think of these as kind of an audio artifact. The music, when you buy the record, will be made available in a digital form in the form of a 3-inch CD that will come with the record, and also a digital download, so you can listen to the Lathe Cut record if you want, or the digital version on CD or download. Speaking of music, I'm going to compile all of the ambient pieces I've done as sort of background and mood music for Strange Familiars, and release that as an ambient album as well. That should be coming very soon. That will be a free download for patrons if they want the download. If you want a physical copy, I'll have a discount for patrons. But the download will be free for patrons. just another advantage to being a patron. As far as my writing goes, I have upcoming pieces in Fiddler's Green, number 5 and Woodknock's Journal of Bigfoot Research, Volume 3. My Woodnox piece concerns Delta, Pennsylvania. Really excited that this is finally seeing print. It goes into some very, very strange things, all locked into eight square miles of York County. Speaking of Bigfoot and York County, I've taken a large number of Bigfoot reports from York County already this year. As time goes on, you'll probably hear us talk about some of those on here. I was at a witness location on Wednesday. James K and James R will be with me. We'll be heading out to another location later tonight. These are just two of many reports that we've been given, not to mention possible ongoing activity at Site 7. If you've witnessed Bigfoot or anything strange in York County or elsewhere, drop us a line and let us know about it. Strange Familiars Podcast at gmail.com or 717-347-8554. You can text that or call and leave a message. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking with two guests about more strange lights. First, I'll be talking with Jerry, who'll tell us a story about seeing a weird light in Iceland, closely associated with the legends of the alfs or elves there. Jerry and I also talk about anomalous lights in York County, the Brown Mountain Lights, which he's also seen, and more. A little bit later, Matt comes on and describes the UFO he saw, as well as some other strange occurrences in the Sierra Nevada Mountains.
3: to the show, Jerry. Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: You live somewhat local to me. You don't have to be super specific.
3: I I don't mind, but more or less. My wife and I work down here in Washington, D.C., but we uh, have a house up in the avenues in York, which is sort of right in Central City. We've been there about nine years. Yeah, this is our ninth year. We've got one of the creepier houses there in downtown, so we're pretty happy with that area. So I think we're probably, probably almost right on top of each other. We share some stomping grounds. Yes. In fact, I keep expecting that I'm going to pull up one day and we're going to run into each other in the woods in the middle of the night after <laughs> you know, listening to this thing. <laughs> uh, in one episode, you mentioned uh, you know some drones. And I was like, oh, was that me? Because I have a drone that I take out. And I was like, oh, I, I think I sent you a note and said, well, I was uh, – I wasn't out there on that date or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> you actually gave us some good information on drones. I know virtually nothing about it. And I think James didn't have, he was going from what someone else told him. You know, I don't think James right. claimed to be a drone expert either, but he he didn't have right. all the facts right. You actually gave me a lot of good information on that. You told me a story about some lights, but it was not even in the United States, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. I don't have a, a French accent, but I do uh, I do have a story that doesn't take place in the United States. And if you let me give you a little background if that's okay. Sure, um yeah. I've been interested in what I guess you call it the paranormal for probably going on about 30 years now. I think I did my first investigation in a serious way when I was about 14 15 years old and I'm 44 now. And I grew up in Texas and uh, you know most of the stuff I researched was sort of our legends down there and you know I wrote a few pieces on the uh, you know, the Aurora UFO crash. My wife and I investigated that when we were dating and you know the now famous goatman's bridge uh, i was you know the first person to sort of debunk that story that they much like toad road it's one of those stories that no matter how many times you debunk it they keep telling it over and over again right you know and i did a lot of that kind of stuff and you know it sort of became a hobby for us and I call myself a skeptical investigator of claims of the paranormal. I, I primarily am a skeptic. I'm a scientist by profession. I have a bachelor's in anthropology and a master's degree in history and my doctorates in a field of adult education. I'm a data scientist for the government. You know, so I'm, I'm kind of a grounded guy, but then I have this sort of foot in legend tripping and, you know, my wife's and my primary hobby is doing this kind of stuff. You know, we don't go to travel to lay on the beach. You know, we go to places, uh, go Kikihara Forest, the catacombs of Scotland, or uh, excuse me, of Paris, the vaults of, of Edinburgh. Like, we don't just go to a place to go there and, and sort of lay out vacation. We, we sort of go to Urbex and Legend Trip and that kind of stuff. And that's what ultimately brought us to the York, Adams County area, is if that's your hobby, like, it's it's like living in the Bermuda Triangle, <laughs> you know, between Gettysburg yeah. and, and York and Philadelphia. you you got all the you know, you're never hurting for a place to look. So, you know, I'm not coming at this as a guy who, you know, has had no experience in this. I've, I've done a lot of cases of, you know, traveled all around the world over the last 30 years. And, and so we've had a, we've had a lot of experience with it. And one of the things that I've always been interested in is the legends of the Fay folk. And I think you've talked about that a little bit. Sure. You know, we, we've been to some of the Fae sites in Scotland and in England and, you know the real hotbed of fae stories is Iceland. They call them the Hulafolk there, and in the Faroe Islands they're the Huldfolka, and they're basically the, the old name for them was the Alf, yes, uh, which means elf. And you'll, Alba Twitch, maybe we can talk about that a little bit. But I, I have a theory, and I think you you do too, that that might be the origin of that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have this real strong belief system that they're still sort of these little people that Exist in the you know the crevasses and mountains and stuff uh, around Reykjavik and then in the center of the island and to the point that they even move the ring road the the one I mean it's not an interstate because there's no states but the one road that goes around the island to avoid an area where the Hula folk live the word huldefolk means hidden people hidden folk and they use that word to avoid using their ancestral name of, of elf because that's supposedly bad luck. And one of the things they do is they build these sort of faux houses for them all over the island. They put out offerings, milk, bread, liquor, that kind of stuff for these guys. In Reykjavik, when you go around the park, you'll see them and they're very touristy. But I shot you over some pictures of some of the old, more authentic ones, including one from a place called Kelder, which is a farmstead that's been occupied for a thousand years. And so, you know, they have this spring and they have built an elf house there. And that's where we had our experience we went to Iceland the first time for my 40th birthday. So that was February four years ago. We were there in the middle of winter. We wanted to see the northern lights and we wanted to sort of explore these elf hula folk legends. So the way, you know, we always start our adventure is usually in a bar, right? <laughs> so we, we get there day one and, you know, we're looking around Reykjavik and we, you know, I'm, kind of a beer connoisseur. So again, York County's perfect, perfect place to live (laughs) if you like craft beer and and mysteries. We find this bar. I won't give the name of it, but you can find it because it's the only craft bar in downtown Reykjavik. It's moved since then, um, but it's next door to, it used to be next door to a place called the Hotel Blue. So anybody who's in Reykjavik can track it down. And we're there, it's the middle of February, total off season bitter cold but there's no snow on the ground and we walk into this bar and some other american tourists were there, there were just four of us in the bar and we're hanging out talking and it's me and two other ladies and my wife and they're all having a good time and we're cutting up and as often is the the proud tradition of ladies who travel they all go to the restroom at the same time and lead me and the bar manager to talk and we're sitting there and i said hey man you know He's He's got nothing to do, so he's drinking. I'm drinking, and he's sharing with me his home homebrew, Like, we've got enough of a relationship going that the guy's giving me beer out of his private stock. And I'm like, you know, I want to ask you about this elf thing. Is this true? Is this BS, or is this true? And Icelanders are extremely matter-of-fact. They're, they're even more matter-of-fact than Germans. And he goes, oh, yeah, it's absolutely true, because I've seen them. And he said it just like that, and I said, what? what? (laughs) And he goes, no, it's true. I've seen it. And I said, well, what, what's the story? And he goes, well, there's a place where we do food and beverage tours at a thing we call the crystal cave that's out on this road that takes you to the local airport, not Keflavik, which is the international airport now, but the local intra Icelandic airport that was built by, I think the Brits during World War II. And again, you can find this on the internet. I'm not going to give away directions to this guy's site, but if you, if you really want to find it, you can find it. And he goes. We do tours out there, and I see him at night. I'll get out there at night. The sun, you know, in the winter time, sets at three thirty, four o'clock, so it's already dark when he's setting up. And he says, and the way I see him is I see these lights that move up in the uh, in the hills and in the and in the mountains and in the valleys, and they'll move along like lantern lights. And he said the old people will tell you that that's how you see the Hulda folk, because what you can see is the lights from their houses. And from the little lanterns they carry. And I said, that sounds ridiculous. And he, he says, I don't know what they are. And we started speculating. And he's like, it could be some natural phenomenon that we just call elves. It could be something related to the volcanoes or something like that. And I said, well, that's anomalous phenomenon. So, you know, let's try to check it out. So a couple days go by. We've rented a car. We're exploring the island we had not gone to this site yet. We were going to save that for our last day because it was the closest one to the hotel we were staying in. And I, I'm also big into Icelandic culture, and i always wanted to go out to the some of the sites that were in the Poetic Edis, the Icelandic Chronicles. Yeah. And we were doing a day like that. We needed to go out to Kelgar because that's one of the places, if you are familiar with the literature, that's heavily mentioned in Niles Saga, the, the saga of Bern Niles, which is one of the longest ones place that was actually there. So the buildings that were there were there when the saga took place. It's the middle of winter, of course, tons of snow. And again, I've sent you some pictures you can share. There's nobody around at this major tourist attraction. So we spend the whole day out there sort of hanging out, having a good time. We ended up, you know, staying out very late because our real goal is to see the northern lights. And Vicky suggested, well, this place would be perfect. We should come back at sundown to check out the lights go into town, have a couple of Viking beers, eat some french fries, go to the local bath, because everybody takes a bath. You know, We do the bath, and then we head back out to Kelder. And we're sailing down this dirt road towards the site You know, to get into position to check out the Northern Lights and see if they show up. The cars work like American cars. We've got a white, I think it's a Toyota. Vicky's driving. I've got cameras in my lap, so I'm ready to take pictures thinking I'm going to check out the Northern Lights. Got a You know, a 35 millimeter Nikon camera sailing down the road out of nowhere, maybe 25, 30 feet off the right of me as we're driving down this dirt road, a ball of light appears little bigger than a basketball, smaller than a giant beach ball. It's orange like fire and it is bright enough and high enough off the ground to cast a shadow. So Vicky and I both saw it. She almost wrecked the car. She slammed on the brakes, came to a roaring stop. I tried to get out of the car. I was so freaked out and ecstatic. We weren't scared. We were ecstatic. I couldn't get my seatbelt off. <laughs> By the time I get the seatbelt off and the door open, it goes out. So I literally started cursing. Like I was furious. I was like, that's we're never going to see this again. Like, we saw the thing we came to see. What are the odds? And we've been back to Iceland since and never seen it again. And we're not going to get to see it again. Just as I get out of the car, maybe another, I don't know, 500 yards, 300 yards back off into the field again out to my right, it appears again. It's too far away at this point for me to, you know, see it as close up as we saw it before to see if there were any defining characteristics. But it's the same light, about the same size, off in the distance. And I had my camera in my hand, and at that point, I snap a whole bunch of pictures, just as many as I can. Get a bunch of pictures taken. I sent you probably one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Get a whole bunch of pictures taken. It goes out briefly, and then it shows back up in an almost the same position. And I try to chase it. I tear ass out across this gully because there's a, much like an American, you know, Iceland is devoid of trees. Right. So this is almost like being in West Texas. It is well below zero. It's icy slick. I climb down the side of the road and I, I run headlong into what we would call a deer fence. Just slammed right into it. I start trying to climb it. I can't get over it. They have reindeer there. I can't get to the other side of it. And I was so pissed off. I started yelling at the thing. I actually was going I was like like Vicky gets out of the car. always hear about people who have paranormal encounters being very chill and relaxed we were not we were howling like maniacs (laughs) so if this thing had been a person you know or something like that out in that field it would have you know we would have scared
1: (laughs) yeah it would have at least recognized your presence yeah they
3: would have recognized and then it goes out again We continue to see it on and off, I would say, for probably the next, it seemed like five hours, but probably the next 10 or 15, 20 minutes in that sort of same area. I don't get any more pictures that look good. At this point, it's so cold, you know, it's draining my batteries. I go to get my video camera, my video camera, which was in the trunk, the batteries are dead. I think I maybe got one blurry phone pic. So that initial series of pictures from the second time it showed up, the only time I saw it. Now, when you say (laughs) your battery was drained, the cold drained your battery? Cold drained our battery. We had that problem. This was not paranormal. This this was February 20th, and this was a brutal winter. So it was like if we had ran out of gas, we would have been dead by the time we got back to the highway. It was that cold. Mm. So batteries were gone. We had that same problem when we were photographing the northern lights. We really only had about 20, 30 minutes before we had to switch batteries with warm batteries um, to to keep them going. So that sounds like the weird part. We're not to the weird part yet. I have on a hat at this trip that I'm very, very fond of. It's a, a British fat flat cap, brown knit cap, very warm, like a faux silk lining. And I'm wearing that hat before we leave that spot. We spend the rest of the night driving up and down that road. And I mean the rest of the night until probably three, four o'clock in the morning. You know, that's how much we were into it. We were trying to find side roads to get closer to where this thing was. Just anything we could. Another car never came. We never saw any other houses. We never had a reason to get out of the vehicle until that point. We are exhausted and we have this long, grueling drive back to Reykjavik. We have to go over this major mountain in the middle of the night on the frozen road. We get back to our hotel. We crash. You know, Neither one of us can sleep. We hit a couple of drinks and talk about it, talk about it, finally fall asleep. We get up the next day and I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And she's I want to go back out there because I want to see were there lights? Were they burning off natural gas? Was there a geological formation? She's like, I can't let this rest. Let's get some food and get back out. there." We get up. And I realize I don't have my hat. I've got my parka, I've got my scarf, gloves, no hat. We get back out to the site. I'm like, well, I'll at least be able to get my hat. Get out, no hat. I'm like, okay, the hat's gone. I I lost it somewhere in the middle of the night. We take some pictures of the area as best we can. There's no houses there, there's no side roads, no features, no phone poles, nothing. You know, like here, like in Texas, you know, you might expect some old farmer's light or something on a well house or something like that. This was just empty land, and clearly the guys got it fenced for caribou. And I don't think caribou light up, you know, like balls of fire. (laughs) So we spent another hour kind of roaming around, looking around, kind of making peace with it. We're like, well, let's go back to Kelder, and we've got some snacks in the back. We'll eat a snack. We pull up to Kelder where the, you know, where the visitor center is. Still nobody there, totally closed for the winter. I get up, I get out of the car because I want to stand up and eat. I don't like to eat in the car, it's a weird thing that I have. So I'm gonna get out and eat in front of the sign. I walk over to the sign, look down, there's my hat, laying right under the Kelder sign, a mile from where I lost it. And and you gotta realize, we left there probably one, two o'clock in the morning. We come back as soon as we wake up, get some food in us. And there's no tire tracks, there's like nobody has been like the only tire tracks we saw was from us driving, you know, probably six, seven hours earlier in the day. And I did not get out. Maybe I did. And in all the excitement, I, I forgot. But Vicky and I don't remember me getting out at Kelder the other time we visited it that night. And somehow that hat gets from the side of the light to where I found it at Kelder. And I mean I still have that hat. Like I took it with me. It's like that's now my lucky artifact. Sure. And, yeah. You know, I've left it in restaurants and it always comes back to me. Like I left it in a restaurant recently, went back to that restaurant the next day, still hanging on the hook. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> so now I have I have my lucky folk hat. And you know, the, the couple of things that I, I regret about that is I usually when I go to investigate a case, I take equipment trap cam, anything I can get my hands on if I need to get a drone, if I need to get a camera. And we were on vacation. So we came tongue in cheek, not expecting to see what we ended up seeing. And of course, you know, that's how I think these things play with you is they're going to F with you when you least expect to see them. (laughs) At least that's the way I rationalize it. If I'd been out there with all of my equipment, I wouldn't have seen a damn thing probably.
1: I, oh, I agree. There's there's something <laughs> there's know. something very uh, yeah, and I trickster people throw that word around a lot, but there is something very trickstery about the thing, the, the and, whole phenomenon.
3: Exactly, and I agree with that. But I did get you know, unlike a lot of folks, I did get a handful of pictures. Is it and okay I, to
1: share what you sent?
3: Please, please, I would love feedback on this. If somebody. I have had some other friends who've done analysis on that. They, you know, one guy did some sort of color pattern analysis, and he said that it looked like that. The readings he got back was that it was definitely fire. It wasn't electric light. Blow it up. There's no foam pole. Um, if you want, I can probably even find the original files off the camera and figure out a way to get them to you so they don't have to be emailed. I am desperate for feedback on that because this has been the enduring mystery of my career. And that's sort of what got me into Mystery Lights. So I've been, since that time, sort of trying to match up Mystery Light sightings with other phenomena. And what I am finding is that Mystery Lights and these alb creatures, puckwudgies in Massachusetts are albatwitch in York County, huldefolk. They're sort of co-morbid with bright lights, with these weird lights. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) They all seem to have kind of a root. If you sort of draw a map of where these phenomena occur, it's sort of an arc around the Atlantic Ocean from Brittany in France, England, Scotland, not so much in Wales, a little bit, Ireland, the Faroe Islands, Iceland, Newfoundland. There's a famous place where they think folk live in Newfoundland, right down to sort of southern Pennsylvania, and then it sort of peters out, you know, around the Chesapeake Bay. And then there's a Pukwudgie tradition that's gone inland into Ohio at, at Moundsville State out there. But, you know, there's this sort of ancient tradition of these little people who are remarkably similar, whether they're being seen by Native Americans or Picts or, or Vikings or Anglo settlers in York County that are shockingly similar and all seem to have sort of a name that's rooted in that same sort of German noun, Albe. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's, yeah. it's uh, Alb in German, it's Alf in the
3: Norse, it is, yeah, of course, Elf in English. English, exactly. And one of the things that I find interesting is that they do appear in the context of these sort of bizarre lights. You know, As a skeptic, as a person of science, the question that I, I have, and that is sort of the enduring mystery for me, is are these sort of natural lights a physical phenomena that people are explaining away with a mythology or is there a mythology that the rational mind is trying to unpack scientifically by swamp gas or, you know, whatever.
1: Well, the folklore is incredibly consistent. That's the thing.
3: And that's what is as an anthropology person, as an anthropologist, you know, that's the thing that I find particularly interesting is that it's, I mean man for this to have a for this to be a sort of a pan genesis folklore that starts in Europe and spreads to the new world via Colombian exchange and co- colonialism is really difficult for me to accept because we do have pre columbian you know stories about these little people and that's right, one right. of the things that I'm trying to do is sort of collect those stories and see see if you can find sort of the ur-tale that started them all
1: yeah, I mean, I, I, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it'd be awesome if you could,
3: but yeah, it's not possible. But it seems yeah. like like they just pop up everywhere. What I find interesting about the Alba Twitch is it is. You know, I think you sort of caught it, and a lot of us sort of caught it before it became an internet phenomenon. Like, it doesn't really have a Reddit thread yet. <laughs> right, right, So, and it's very, very unique to some specific places, and it's also extremely similar to the Pukwudgie legends that are just right up the coast in New Hampshire, and that that are found in the area of the Huckamuck Swamp. So, mm-hmm. we're talking about people who are three, four feet tall. I mean, they, you know, we, we kind of, I guess we call them baby Bigfoot, but they really look like the, the hula folk that you see in you know they're little. You know I'm. You can't see me, but I'm holding my hand, and they're little people. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that's that's what I think is really interesting. So you 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 kind of have to wonder if the, I mean that's, you know, cultural merging. Did the Germans bring these sort of stories with them? And you know I'm I'm German of German descent myself. You know I'm a, I'm a Mennonite on my father's mother's side, but not Lancaster Amish. Uh, the Mennonites also settled in Mexico and Texas, and I'm from that bunch ocean indiana is where a lot of our family settled as well and we don't have an analogous uh, story in mennonite culture down there i mean there's a lot of ghost stories but there's not any you know elvish stories because i don't think there was any any phenomenon down in the texas panhandle that these old germans could could sort of latch onto. so they so they sort of brought their ghost legends with them which merge in with you know the local tales of la llorona and and some of that you know we have a german version of la llorona and that kind of thing oh really yeah. I mean, there's rich folklore there, but, you know, one of my other interests is, whenever I get bored with work, I'm, I'm writing a couple of books, and one of them is on um, this concept called panic. You know, everybody knows the word panic, but nobody knows where that word comes from. And the word panic, actually, the root of it is pan, which is the, the great god uh, from Greek mythology. And the, the ancient phenomenon of panic was this Situation where you would be alone in the woods and you suddenly get a creeping fear and I'm, I'm sure as a woodsman you've had that yourself if you yes, hike in the woods yeah. a lot you'll be walking along and all of a sudden you know the hair will stand up on the back of your neck your heart will start to race you'll start to get a cold sweat and you don't know why because nothing has changed and if you're in a really weird place all of a sudden everybody else all the other creatures in the wood get the same feeling and everything goes silent. And then you really start to, to freak out. That's what the Greeks called panic. And it was because you were supposedly walking up on to Pan's dinner table and where he would have his, you know, sort of fets out in the in the woods. And that's where we get that word from. And it's analogous to stories of fey folk. These people would be walking in the woods and they would all, all of a sudden start to freak out and they would turn and look and they were in a fairy ring. You, know, you hear all these awful stories about if you dance with the fairies or eat their food, you'll be stuck in their, in their realm for a long time. So this is not a phenomenon that we've created over the last 100 years or 200 years or even 1,000 years. This is something that the Greeks and ancient people you know, already had a full-blown mythology for that we've you know, sort of inherited down and are sort of trying to reconcile it in our own culture. And it's, you know, the phenomenon is real. If my interest is what's the cause of it <laughs> you know right. I saw a mystery light maybe that mystery light was a spaceship maybe it was a dude in an F-150 I don't think it was because that would have been possible you know and it's all I can say is that I saw it I took a picture of it the picture's not a hoax and I don't know what the hell it is <laughs> so so I want to go to places where we have mystery lights and see if I can figure out see if I can replicate that and it, it may be a fool's errand You know, I've gone down to Brown Mountain now we recently saw a very strange light over in Seven Valleys, which seems to be a mecca for strange lights. But I wasn't able to get a picture of it. It was like a flash. Mm. I think we've talked about this. I think what you and I call the the white flash is sort of different. I think you're seeing a flash of movement, and what my wife and I have seen is more like a lit up field that I think you've described a few times. Yeah. Now, when I
1: saw a little, I mean, it, mine was lit up not temporarily. It was like like stadium lights. Were, yeah, were that's paranoid. the
3: way you've described it. I would kill to see that we were in seven valleys out at a cemetery one night and we had that it was literally you know two seconds clear as day the light was coming from the ground not the, the sky you know and that we were explicitly out there exploring for that kind of stuff to see it light up like stadium lights i mean i can't even imagine what that was what the, that was the the seven
1: valley stuff a lot of people talk about green or, or kind of golden lights out there yes. which is extremely yeah. fascinating the flash, uh, I don't know if you heard, we did a show on lights on Where Did the Road Go recently, and yes. uh, they were talking about those flashes like that a lot. Like, yeah, so.
3: and I don't I don't know what it is. You know, I've seen them twice now, and both times it was in Seven Valleys, and they come from the ground up, so it's not lightning like, you know, I've seen lightning. <laughs> it's It's ever-present, it's from the ground up, and it doesn't have a single point. It is a light that's everywhere all at once, so...
1: You know, I, I have a woman, a very, very nice woman. She doesn't have internet access. She found me. I, t- I took an ad out in the paper that just said, like, <laughs> see, seen anything weird, Bigfoot, anything like that. So that's how she found me. So she And she calls me every now and then. She'll call me, you know, once every two to three months or something. And she'll just – she's a local lady who's been collecting these stories. I'm, I'm guessing – I don't know her age. I'm guessing she's in her 60s or 70s just from her sure. voice and from, from how, how many stories she has and how, how far they date back. But she'll call me every couple of months. She called me, like one of the first times she called me, she told me the story about these glowing fields. And, and she's from Seven Valleys. And, and uh, yeah. she, this was on her family's property. Her father went out and, and saw these this field lit up glowing. I traced the date back. I, I said, what what date was it? And it was, she said it was September. And I forget, it was sometime in the early 80s. I'm I'll say 82, but I'm not exactly sure what year it was. But anyway, I found within a week... Now she knew nothing about Bigfoot. She wasn't interested in Bigfoot at all. She just told me about these glowing fields and that the the following day after her father saw it, there were there were black helicopters flying around the area. Yeah. I think she even said one landed in that field, but I'll have to look at my notes to be sure. But anyway, I found a Bigfoot sighting within days of the day her father saw this field in Seven Valleys.
3: Man, that's incredible. You know, we've had some UFO sightings in in and around. There was one at uh, near the paper factory. I think it was in the early 80s, and there's been a couple. You guys investigated one. There's been a few. You know, I don't work on defense projects, so I'm not a quote-unquote disinformation agent or anything like that. (laughs) I don't don't know anything about UFOs, and I never talk to people about stuff that I actually do work on, so I have no insight into the UFO phenomenon. The the fact that you just
1: denied it means there's a certain certain, uh, percentage of of people out there going, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh.
3: Yeah, I I know. Of course. This will make it worse, but information science is my specialty. You know, so, <laughs> you know, information, disinformation, and propaganda are sort of things that I actually lecture about and stuff like that. So, you know, if I were going to make up a story, I'd be the guy to do it. That's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know, I have to tell people, you know, I could tell you everything I really work on in the context of sitting in a bar, and you'd never believe it because it would all sound crazy. But I, I don't know anything about black projects or anything like that. But where we are in Pennsylvania is awfully close To where the government does an awful lot of of military testing, Mm -hmm. so I'm always sort of skeptical of UFOs a little bit. But the government, I'm pretty sure, is not working on Bigfoot. That's I I don't know about missing nine one one and all that stuff, but that one, you know, we might stare at goats and stuff like that. But I'm not sure about that. I think they're I don't know what's going on, but I know I think something's going on, and I'm not sure. I have no idea what it is, and that's pretty.
1: Did you say there was one of these elf houses in the area that you saw the light?
3: Yes, I sent you a picture of it. It's I think it's tagged uh, Elf House Kelder. Okay. And it's a picture of a it's a little house. It's very old with a spring pouring out the front door. Wow. And again, you're welcome. And that's, my hat would have been found, I could have picked up the hat and thrown it and hit that thing. Oh, so, okay. It, yeah. The place where we saw the light would have been about half a mile to a mile away from
5: Okay. Wow.
1: But again,
3: we're talking about a farm on a plain, completely devoid of trees, exclusively for caribou. You know, farming with no people living on it. So I mean, this is not a place. Again, on a night where a person out walking would have would have not been able to walk that distance without some serious health effects. Like it was like we were literally feeling the effects just from standing outside eating cheese and crackers. So.
1: And it's interesting to me, though, that, that you know, your albs, your alfs, your elves, we were saying. So they they don't have the idea of the fairy fort in Iceland, but they, they're building houses specifically for them. Correct. And they're they're building roads. They will actually avoid certain mounds and stuff. And, okay. and like you said, they'll, they'll move the roads or, or they won't build through areas because they're known, you know, they were known as where the elves were. In fact, I think I read in, it was in that book, the Elves, Whites and Trolls book. There's a story in there about a... A World War II airbase they were building. I don't know if it's the same one you were mentioning before. Oh, oh yes,
0: that is the place. And they delayed the, the
1: building of that for for <laughs> about a month, and it was the All Americans right. were very very frustrated. But the the uh, the Icelandic people were like, no, we're not. One of the fellows actually got a message in a dream, I think, uh, yeah. that came to him and said, please give give us time to move before you before you tear down this hill or this mound or whatever it was. So this idea does exist, you know, uh, I mean, more than Ireland, more than Scotland of these homes, these places that, uh, you know, it's a lot of times are associated you with know, springs. That's why that house built on the spring. That and, house
3: is built on the spring. Yeah. yeah. And that's where I think, I mean, we've just come full circle. That's why I think the fairy forts are associated with fairies and, you know, the Wedgies live in rocks. Um, the Albatwitches live on Chickie's Rock. I think that because they are not you know in Iceland they live on big rocks they live in these craggy places caves underground but in Scotland Ireland there's not those kind of features so I think that that these things have become associated with ancient structures ah, that,
1: you know what we call hex hollow is is actually also known as Spring Valley yep and the reason why is there are an incredible amount of natural springs there if you spend any amount of time hiking through there you'll see them they, they pop up in the woods at various locations. The, the, yeah, the, the
3: groundwater is very, you know, the, you know, the 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 water table is very close to the surface there.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, there's a reason why it's called. Well, there's a reason why it's called Hex Hollow too. But uh, sure, re- I, I believe it's a it's a very special place. But the proper name is Spring Valley, and that's it's absolutely deserving of that name. There's springs everywhere.
3: You know, this is one of those places. You know, I go back to sort of this theory of panic, like. Like you know, the first time we ever, you know, and again, I I, I encourage people not to go to Toad Road. Like that is, <laughs> that is private property. You know, and the the I don't even like to slow my car down there because then everybody on that thing knows what you're doing. <laughs> and, You know, and I mean, if you want to find your kids on a on a Saturday night, drive out there because it seems like there's a billion teenagers out there all the time. So don't go out there unless you have permission from somebody. But it's one of those places that as soon as you get out of your car, you're like, man, this place is weird. Like it is Kadoris furnace. It's weird. And, um, Hex Hollow is one of those places that as soon as you get out, it's, it's what they call a liminal space. It's like a place where, you know, we intuitively understand that this is a different kind of place than a normal piece of real estate. Like you're, You know, you're never going to find a beach resort in Hex Hollow because it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel unpleasant, but it doesn't feel right either. I don't know if you've had the the similar experience, but, you know.
1: Well, my most intense, you know, if you want to talk about panic, my most intense panic in the woods was there. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah.
3: At at Hex Hollow? Yeah, Yeah. Mm mm-hmm. Man, I could believe that because that place is really strange. It was,
1: I mean, there was no good reason. Well, I mean, I've talked about it before. That's where I heard the, the, you know, what I thought was a rock clack. And then I heard what I thought would would knock and then smelled something and and thought for, you know, it's had all the markings of of a Bigfoot sighting when I got no sighting. Sure. But it it accompanied that and uh, absolutely terrified. I couldn't couldn't move. My knees were locked. Um, You know.
3: The only time I've ever had an experience like that was not in York County. I never. I feel very at home in York County, and that's why we chose to move there. And I mean, we've been to some wacky places, and you know, places that your listeners don't ever need to go to. But we were exploring. There's there is a very tiny legend of mystery lights. This this will be interesting to your your viewers because they can go and, and listeners because they can go and explore this one outside Orlando, Florida, and. One of probably the older mystery light stories in the United States uh, took place outside Orlando, and it, it became probably almost as old as Brown Mountain. It became such a, a tourist attraction in the 1950s where people were going out and seeing this thing that they had to you know, send a sheriff out to send people home. There were so many people going out to look at that a, a young man actually got ran over by a car and killed. And after that, they started downplaying it as a tourist attraction. So, you know, Vicky and I were at, she was at the American Library Association conference a couple of years back. I got it into my head that I didn't want to be in Washington, D.C. for a week, so we, <laughs> I went with her. And there's, if you don't like Disney World, by the way, there's not a lot to do in Orlando. So <laughs> we went out to, uh, I drug her out to this place in the middle of the night, thinking it would be sort of our standard. Get out with the cameras, you know, look around, spend the night sort of sitting on the hood of the car and just keeping a lookout. Brother, we got out of that car and we both just had, like, it was probably the most upset I think I have felt as an adult. Again, my knees locked, all the, I'm bald, and the, the little bit of hair I still have on my head stood up. I went from hot sweat to cold sweat, and it just, uh, Vicki and I both, she was like, man, I do not like this place. And we are right off the side of a, of a county highway, we were both like, this is a bad place. Some bad things have happened here. This is, this is, whatever we see is not going to leave us with a lucky hat kind of experience. This is going to be a bad experience. We had driven an hour to get there. We got back in that car, turned around and left and went back to our Airbnb. I mean, we've been in the catacombs. We've been in the, the Edinburgh vaults. We've been into some you know back country arizona or new mexico and all that stuff you know we've been to some 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 shady places on our investigation and i have never had one that left me that scared and there was nothing there but a swamp and a highway hmm. and i mean i whatever the boundary is between that piece of real estate and call it the other side or whatever it it's very thin in in that place <laughs> and nobody had built a house there i mean it was good real estate right outside of orlando there weren't any houses. so And you didn't see any lights or anything. That we didn't stay long enough. <laughs> right, yeah. We, didn't st- yeah. we didn't stick around. We were there for about 25 minutes and just, just had had enough. Like, it was a creepy place. Again, you know, this is an area where people were building million-dollar homes to be right outside Orlando. And basically for a mile on either side of this river, it was desolate. There was nothing there. And it, it was a very disconcerting place. But it's a place... You know, you can go investigate if you you know if you get bored with Disney World, Google it. Google Mystery Light, Orlando, and you can go out and check it out. We did not see a light on that trip. We did see a light at Brown Mountain, though. We did see a light that I I can't explain, despite what some of my skeptical colleagues think.
1: Was it uh, basically what people report there?
3: It was. We were there all night, hanging out in the middle of winter in last October, and uh, we found the very best outlook we could find perfect viewing, clean, crisp weather. It was before the winter season and after the summer season, set up on this sort of picnic bench and just sat there, you know, stone cold watching. It took about an hour to identify all the the city lights. You know, that's clearly a car. That's clearly a hiker. Uh, that's clearly, uh, you know, an antenna, blah, blah, blah. We made notes about that. And, uh, you know, towards the end of our period there, Uh, we saw a light that we're probably a mile away from Brown Mountain across this valley that emanated off the side of the mountain, extended itself toward us, swelled to the size of a quarter. Uh, So this is something that's not on the mountain, it's coming out from the mountain, increases in size as it moves away from the mountain, and then flickers out. So it it couldn't have been an airplane, it couldn't have been an ATV. It, It was clearly something that you know, to me, it looked like what I would call a burst of plasma—something that came out, lit up—and it, it's the closest thing that we've personally seen to what we saw in Iceland. Though based on the distance, it would have been somewhat larger. We well, didn't get a picture of it, but we definitely saw it, and we definitely, you know, noted it on Facebook at the time. <laughs>
1: I'll have to uh, get you to sign a non-disclosure thing and then agree to be hoodwinked, but I'll have to take you to Site Seven. And... Oh, okay. <laughs> and show you those because they don't look like they're not man made at first to to me I'm I'm you know when I first well first of all you have to let your eyes adjust so they're not super super bright although they can they will get super bright when you start messing with them but just in their sort of I'll say natural state or whatever they're not super bright but they're bright enough where you know once your eyes adjust to the dark you see them and then yeah. I'm looking at them, I'm thinking, it's got to be something man-made. There's something that, that, you know, they look like, you know, they were like that whitish blue of a, like a LED kind of light. And I'm like, nah, eh, man-made until they start moving and changing colors. Then I'm, then I'm like, I don't know how to explain that.
3: That's, again, these, these two lights that I've seen, you know, that Vicki and I have seen were exactly like that. They were too regular to be, I don't know, people describe Will of the Wisps I mean, they must be Will of the Wisps, whatever the hell that is. They look man-made. They behave like a like a device, like a machine, but then they don't. Right. They, they behave like plasma under the command of an intelligence. They're both mechanical and organic, and that's exactly what we saw in Iceland and out uh, that's,
1: uh, that's a good explanation, a good description. And someone wrote, and they said, I, I know what you saw. You saw light reflecting off of water, and, it, and the water was dripping, and that explains the movement. And this guy was very confident. I said... Well, maybe, but the legs were moving up and sideways and, you know, water doesn't move that way. So, you you know, I I don't know what to, you know, it's it's a, it would be a good possible explanation, however unlikely, but, you know, maybe, but water doesn't move up and sideways. It just doesn't, like gravity doesn't work that way.
3: That's an area where I break with a lot of my skeptical colleagues. I don't think you can explain these things on Reddit from your house. You want to investigate these phenomena, you have to go investigate them. I was an armchair skeptic for a long time, and then I realized that was really, you know, that's almost mental masturbation, where you're just you're playing Sherlock Holmes. You don't have any of the evidence, and that's why we really started investigating cases because number one, it's fun. I mean, let's admit it's fun. But number two, if you really want to know the answer, you can't know it unless you see the circumstances. And a lot of people have debunked, you know, Brown Mountain, for instance after going out there and sitting for 35 minutes and going, well, that's an airplane. Well, yeah, there are airplanes. I mean, you know, that area of North Carolina has a lot of people, and Brown Mountain has hikers on it. But after you just keep your eyes focused on that thing, hour one, hour two, hour three, you begin to see the pattern of human movement and of machines moving, and that gives you an an understanding of what happens when anomalous phenomena show up. One thing I will say, anybody can research Brown Mountain, and I would encourage them to do that. There's a guy who lives on the mountain who posts YouTube video every night. He's got a couple of cameras running. He picks up crazy lights all the time. And he you know, posts them up there, You know, eight, nine, ten hours of footage, so that people can sit there on YouTube and, and look at them. And I have seen some footage of the exact same thing that Vicky and I saw. They occur with enough regularity for this to be a, an identifiable phenomenon. And I will say that I'm not crazy. There's a skeptical investigator, she's more of a skeptic than I am, named Sharon Hill, who lives up in Harrisburg, who's a geologist for the state of Pennsylvania, who also thinks that these lights you know, are a real phenomenon. I'll say it. I don't believe in ghosts. And I think Bigfoot is something, but I don't think it's an ape in the woods. I agree, yeah. You know, And, and if space aliens exist that's probably the department of defense but these mystery lights are real and they're they are a phenomenon that we have not fully understood and you know so that's why i've kind of planted my flag on there gary thanks so much for telling your stories big, big fan of the show i absolutely love this podcast uh thank you for all the hours of entertainment i'm happy to be on oh thanks for coming on
0: sure
1: before we get on with the rest of the show, I'd just like to mention, if you like what we do on Strange Familiars, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. We try to do full extra shows every month for our patrons. Last month we actually did two full shows. This month we'll have a special guest telling us about his Bigfoot encounters, as well as discussing Bigfoot, Albatwitch, and other hairy creatures with me. We do not have advertisers, we don't have grants. We don't have any financial support other than our patrons. So if you want to help us out, $3 a month gets you extra shows and other content. You can go in at higher levels for more rewards and get things like t-shirts, stickers, pins, and more. Thanks to all of our current patrons, we really couldn't do the show without you. And if you'd like to help, that's patreon.com slash We're talking with Matt, who had a UFO experience in, it was in the Sierras, right? Sierra Mountains.
6: Yeah, Sierra Nevada Mountains.
1: And uh, what right, out,
6: right outside Lake Tahoe. So what year was this? This was 2001, the summer. And I think all of us, when we think of the year 2001, since what happened that year, and I specifically remember this is the summer before 9-11. So,
1: you know, a long time ago,
6: but time does fly, and... It's crazy
1: that has been that long. So what were you doing there? Was it vacation or are you just hanging out? Or
6: No, actually, one of my good friends in high school told me about a job working up at a summer camp, which was run by the city of Berkeley where I'm from in the Bay Area. But this, the city of Berkeley ran a uh, youth summer camp for families and also kids. And my friend had worked there the summer before just doing some random maintenance work. So I jumped at the opportunity just to basically get out of the house for the summer, get away, make a little bit of money, and also at the same time, you know, go up in the mountains, a place that I have always loved. Most of my life, I would go camping with my family up around the Tahoe area in the summertime. So it's a place that I love because it's so beautiful up there.
1: Yeah, I've not been, but I've seen plenty of pictures. I've been... uh I've been north of of San Francisco. I've been to uh, yeah. Muir Woods and and all that, but I, I've never gotten oh, yeah, into yeah, yeah. the, the Sierra Nevadas.
6: In the Bay Area, everybody you know talks about oh, let's go up to Tahoe for the summer or let's go skiing you know in the winter. So it's it's a pretty well known destination for people from the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who hasn't been there, I definitely recommend it. It's, just, it's 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 a beautiful lake. Yeah, if you get a chance, definitely go there someday.
1: Yeah, it's it's on my list. My, yeah, I, I have sort of a list of places I I need to hike, and and that's definitely one of them.
6: You're in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm a sure you have a, a lot of avenues to pursue in terms of wh- whether it's UFO or cryptozoology, because I know I've heard a lot of stories about Pennsylvania.
5: And,
1: yeah. We, and, we, and the history, you know. We get a lot here, and a, and a <laughs> crazy mix of stuff too. So yeah, there's plenty to uh, look for here. But I, my listeners are all, are all over the place, so I try not to do. I mean, I'm here, so I end up doing mostly in Pennsylvania, but try not. To, yeah. I try to spread out and do other stuff too, which is good. It's good, you're on. So, kind of lead us into what happened. <clears throat> um, presumably, yeah, sure. this, this was at night. Yeah, it was at nighttime. I was working up at this at this camp for about seven
6: weeks, and there was a lot of you know classmates around my age that were working there too. So a lot of people I knew that were from Berkeley that worked up there on the staff, and and a lot of cool people. You know, we'd hang out after work and just, you know, hang out and have fun, stuff like that. And this one particular night, we were gathering, just hanging out, and we decided to go to this beautiful spot on the ridge. It's it's this ridge on basically, like, the western side of the Lake, Lake Tahoe Valley, and it overlooks, like, looking east towards Lake Tahoe and Nevada, and, and it's a good spot to have a nice view and just you know, relax and stuff and do what uh, teenagers do. So, yeah, this specific night, we went out there and just hung out, and that's when we saw something pretty interesting in the sky and, and definitely caught our eye, and it was something that I, I uh, we all saw. I don't remember exactly how many people were with us, but I think I remember it was like 10 to 12, so it was a good bunch of us.
1: Yeah, that's a good group of people. Now, now did you, yeah. I, I'm just remembering from your email you sent, did you say you saw it first? Um, I don't know if I, I
6: saw it first, but okay. I do remember when I did see it, I pointed it out to everybody. And then so I know at that point, everybody was watching this thing this thing in the sky. And it gives me kind of like a reassurance a little bit to know it wasn't just me seeing it.
1: Sure,
5: yeah. Yeah.
6: So that definitely made it more of a powerful moment, you know, that I, I was able to talk to other people right after it happened and just like in shock in a way and just kind of in awe, like, what the heck was that, you know?
5: Yeah,
1: when I go out into the woods alone and, and if I'm doing recording, I always point out to people, it's so much easier and nicer just to have someone else there, even just to say, yeah. did you see that too? Like, are we talking about the same thing? Now, what did you see? And, you know, you sort of <laughs> check each other with that. Seriously, seriously. Um Man, going out in the woods alone, that's – I don't know if I could do that, but
6: I definitely – commend and applaud the people that have that kind of um, ambition you know if, they, if they're if they alone that they'll still go out there I don't know if I could do that so I guess I'll continue with oh sure yeah so yeah we were just hanging out in this cluster of rocks on this ridge overlooking the east of the Tahoe Valley and it's this we call it the pipeline because there's just this big I guess it's dra- a drainage pipe that runs along the ridge so we're just hanging out there and I remember it was a pretty clear night because we saw a bunch of stars and stuff, and definitely up in that elevation, it's it's really, really clear. So getting away from the city, you could see all the stars and the satellites and all that. It's just an amazing view at night. We're looking east, and something caught my eye. It was in the air east of us. I don't know how high it was. I, I don't know exactly how big it was, but to give you a little reference you know you're looking at a clear sky in the nighttime and you see the stars and if you just you know point your thumb up in the sky you can block out you know the the stars and stuff like that but you know like so when i put my thumb up for like reference like how big this thing was because it wasn't a little dot like a satellite it wasn't a shooting star so it was something a little bit bigger and it was probably a lot closer to where we were at and so basically this thing Kind of just appeared like a round ball of light. I can't really say that it was any saucer shape or anything, but definitely round ball kind of thing. And it was pretty close to us, and it was, you know, definitely bigger than a little speck of a star. You know, so it had some size to it. And the, the colors, when I look back at my memory, like I, I get all these different colors, of, but it was mostly like red orange, a little bit of yellow, and I think there was also hints of green too, so pretty bright, and it was definitely something that caught my eye, I don't know exactly who else saw it when I first saw it, but I remember seeing it and then pointing at it, like, look at that, look at that, so it was up in the, I don't know exactly when it first appeared, but when I first noticed it, I was able to look at it for myself for a split second, and then Say it to everybody else and point my finger, like, "Hey, look at that, guys! I'm pretty sure at this moment, everybody was looking at it." And like I said, there was
1: probably there was at least ten of us. That's a, that's a good crowd of people, you know. What I mean, like, yeah, it like, is. That would it be is. really interesting. That'd be one of the things uh, MUFON or those organizations would really like to note that you, you know, ten separate witnesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
6: and it also, yeah, just gives it more credibility. And to come to think of it. I haven't really talked to anybody, some of my friends, you know how you grow up and you live different lives and you you don't see, you know, it's just people move on. But, so I was thinking like, dang, I'd like to really talk to some of those friends that was there and just try to pick their brain on what they remember. Because I know they saw it too and I know they remember it. And there's a few of those guys that I haven't talked to in a while, but I I can get in contact too and just like to pick their brain. Someday I'll do that. just hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, yeah. but I do remember talking to one, one of my other friends about this, and this is a couple years ago, and he was there too. And we, I don't know what we were talking about. We were just hanging out one, at his house, and I just brought that time. Hey, remember when we saw that UFO? And it was definitely something that he remembered, and, and we talked about it for a little bit. And just like, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> so um, at this point, I first see it when it first appeared. I don't know how long it was in, in the air, but when I first saw it and told everybody else, it was probably a good second and a half at least, maybe maybe more. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of comes towards us, which is west. And we're looking east, so it comes a little bit towards us, which is west. Split, You know, so fast, and there's no sound, you know, so it's not like an airplane that – because there's an airport nearby. It wasn't an airplane. It wasn't a shooting star because shooting stars definitely don't – maneuver like that. It wasn't a satellite. Anything, Anyway, so it kind of shoots over towards us. So it's coming west really fast, too, really fast, like split-second fast, and it's like you kind of can see streaks of the light, but it's like right there kind of like hovering around our area above us. And when this happened, we were all like, whoa. And then there was like in the whole area where we're uh, sitting at, it, it kind of seemed like it did illuminate a little bit. So it shoots over towards us, we all look up, um, and there's a bunch of colors. There's a round circle, big ball, orange, red, some some yellowish, some green even too. And, and it kind of, yeah, like I said, it kind of looked like it illuminated our area. So it wasn't, you know, maybe just that, the the light that it had on its source kind of lit up the whole area. I don't think it was like just shooting like a beam of light. I think it was just more of just the, the overall ambience of the light like carried over towards our area so it kind of lit us up a little bit Mm -hmm. that's how I remember it I would love to pick the brains of some of my friends and just about that aspect but I haven't you know like I said it's been years and haven't talked to people in a while
1: when you talk about the different colors was yeah like individual sort of lights on it or did it change colors or or uh that that's a good question
6: um no it it seems like it just they all kind of like blended in to the, just one color there, wa- there wasn't any specific you know lights you know it, it was kind of like all blended in
1: as one color so the whole time this just appears as sort of a, a ball of light yeah for lack yeah. of a better description yeah okay
6: basically basically just a ball of light i mean yeah i don't remember seeing any like real structure to it you know mm-hmm. like saucer structure or any other kind of like aircraft kind of structure i didn't see any of that it was more just like a haze of a ball of light you know so it came towards our area, kind of lit up the area a little bit, and we all looked up. And I think everybody saw this. I mean, everybody saw this. And then in the next, like, split second, it just it jetted and was gone. And I kind of remember it went, like, back towards where it came from a little bit, towards the east, like southeast. And it was gone, you know?
5: Never just saw like it that, again. Just
6: like that, it was gone. No, never saw it again. And, you know, a lot of us were probably – just, like, didn't know what to say, you know? It's like, what? That was crazy, you know?
1: Sure, um, yeah. Did you notice anything else weird that night? Any, you know, any other kind that's a, that's of missing a good question. Time or anything like that? I don't think I do, no.
6: Mm. I mean, what I remember is just seeing that thing. Uh, before, I don't remember anything strange about that night, weather-wise or anything like that, time-wise. So I can't really pinpoint any other... Uh, precursors to that right? Necessarily right.
1: When it came towards you Was it sort of directly overhead? Were you looking straight up? or was It was basically directly overhead Yeah, it was wow. pretty much
6: directly overhead And I think about this sometimes And I'm like, wow What if it was just like me there? Or what if it was just two people there? You hear about these people that have been abducted I mean, I'm open-minded about everything And I believe a lot of people that say that Like, I, I don't know off the top of my head any real famous cases but i know that there have been a lot of them
2: oh yeah. Um, yeah
6: and so you think about that it's like wow what if it was just me up there i mean maybe maybe he would have wanted to do more and just hover around or whatever the fact that there was a bunch of us probably deterred it you know it wanted to go come check us out and get out of there once it knew there was a bunch of people, something like that, you
1: know yeah, although, it. although I've heard stories where you know whole parties full of people have been uh yeah, not necessarily abducted, but like the you know one or two people will be abducted, the rest of them would be put to sleep, kind of thing. They'll have no memory of it. so there's all kinds of weirdness. I mean, I think you're right. I think probably a bunch of people is safer than than one or two, but whatever it, those things are, you know, call them aliens for lack of a better word. They yeah, do, they do what they want to do, you know, no matter how yeah. many people are there, yeah. it seems like their technology or whatever it is that they're using is so uh, far advanced from what we have that mm-hmm. they seem to be able to do whatever they want, according to stories, you know, again, this is, yeah, all...
6: according to stories. And yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely a believer in a lot of that, like in terms
1: of the
6: knowledge and, and the wisdom that we lost thousands of years ago, there's definitely something to that. And for instance, like, I went to Egypt when I went to Giza and I saw the like, big pyramids and, you know, coming back from the middle from Egypt and it just made me want to study more about that subject. And like, we don't even know how they built those pyramids today, you know?
5: Yeah.
6: And it's yeah. like, they've got some hear,
1: guesses, but yeah, no one's. Really they've got some that. guesses.
6: I know, but it's like, yeah. so I'm really open-minded to all of that histor- historical mysteries and, whether they're aliens or, or giants or we just don't know. And, and I think
1: you got to be open-minded about that. Sure. Um, Cause we just don't know. So the rest of that time that you were in the mountains there or other times when you were camping or anything, did you ever experienced anything else strange, any screams or weird stuff like that? Um, a
6: couple, there were, there, there are two other times that I had some, it was nothing that I saw, but it was just what I felt. So I'll start with one time. I moved to, to Tahoe to live up there for a couple of years in late 2006, and I stayed there until like basically around 2009. Mm-hmm. So this is like years after 2001 when I first saw that uh, strange thing in the sky. So I was living up there with – you know, my cousin was there. He was a ski instructor, and I was there working at a restaurant. And this is this one night I was coming back up to Tahoe late at night. This is probably like two o'clock in the morning. I was down in the Bay Area, and I had to work the next day up in Tahoe. So I was making the, you know, the basically like a three-hour trip from Berkeley up to Tahoe in the middle of the night. And you know, I started to get tired when it's when I got onto the Highway 50, which is one of the roads that goes east up to Tahoe. And this is like a real windy mountain road,
5: mm-hmm.
6: and so I was getting really tired. And kind of swerving a little bit, so I decided just to pull over and maybe get like – just get get like a half an hour of sleep and just – so I can make it home because it was still – from there, it was still like a good 30 miles to my house up in Tahoe. So I decided to pull over, and I remember it was – yeah, so I had the windows open, so it must have been the summertime because it can get kind of chilly up there definitely in the wintertime. Highway 50 is this mountain road. It stretches for about 25, 30 miles, windy mountain roads th- through the Sierra Nevadas. Like I said, I was pulled over, just needed to like get a little bit of sleep because I didn't want to drive anymore because I was swerving. Sure, yeah. Um, And I remember you know, I had the windows open and I was just laying down trying to close my eyes for a little bit, not really feeling anything, just trying to get some sleep and... Really, just out of out of nowhere, I just had this this sudden sense of like fear, fear or dread or whatever you want to call it. But it just like it kind of like woke me up a little bit, and I was like, I looked around, didn't see anything because it's it's dark and there's no re- no real road lights, and, and at that time there's like no traffic because it was like I think it was like two o'clock in the morning. So yeah, some something just said I just just get out of there, and so I did. I just got out of there because I just had this feeling of fear. I can not yeah. really explain it.
1: I think I know the feeling. Yeah, the so,
6: you know, it's just something to say, just get out of here. Yeah. Because yeah. I had the fear of just, like, I'm I'm leaving. I don't know what it was. I just want to go. I will add, like, to that, there has been a few sightings over the years on that Highway 50 of Bigfoot crossing the road, stuff like that. Uh, they're on, like, the BFRO website. I've looked them up before. I don't know when the most recent one was, but it's it's happened multiple times. And so that, that was basically that first time where I really felt just a fear. And there's another time it was the exact same thing, but it was a little bit different situation. I wasn't driving. I was actually kind of stranded in South Lake Town. uh I was at the casinos with some friends, and then somehow my ride fell through, and then I, and I wound up having to basically just walk all the way back to my house, which is basically I'd say five or six miles outside of the town a little bit this is basically the same thing i just had a, a sense of fear rush over me it was um snowing a little bit so there was snow on the ground in winter time pretty cold and it was pretty late at night like a, probably around 12 or 1 not really any traffic around and i'm walking toward to my house and and i make it like almost all the way there so i walked about four maybe five miles and made made a turn onto the road where my house was it's kind of like on the outskirts of the main part of South Lake Tahoe, so it's pretty you know there's not many houses around there's not much traffic there's not many street lights there's a lot of patches of just forest you know
5: mm-hmm.
6: I remember making a turn up to my to my house up the street, and the same kind of thing happened like there on the right of me there's a good you know like probably a two city block area of just straight forest you know no houses just a bunch of red, a bunch bunch of trees and pitch black in there too you know and and even where I'm walking it there's not much light there's only street lights every every block or so maybe so it's pretty dark so i'm walking and i look towards the to the whole patch of forest like i told you and it's pitch black in there and i look in there and i just like the same thing happens. I just I don't I don't see anything. I don't smell anything. I didn't hear anything. I just had a straight fear come over me. I don't know what it was, and at that moment I just I started running as fast as I could to my house. There might not be anything to this, but it, it's it's something I definitely remember. And
1: no, but it's interesting that the the four miles previous. So so it wasn't that yeah. you were walking in the dark because here you've walked in the dark for you know three quarters of the way or more yeah a, a, already and then it hits you you know in this one section that's interesting
6: yeah yeah so it was something that i've thought about before and like there's got to be something to that i mean why would i just out of, out of blue just go crazy and run home like you know like you're going to die or something you know just that that fear
1: yeah, yeah. It, it was weird that's, that's yeah. interesting though
6: yeah this area in the sierra nevada's mountains um i'm sure you probably know but like there's been a lot of weird things that have happened there in terms of like plane crashes and stuff like that. A lot of people call it like the Nevada Triangle, which is basically like you could basically map it out with Reno, Nevada, Las Vegas, and then also Fresno, California. Okay. okay. So those three cities basically this one documentary I saw was pointing it out, and you know, there's been a lot of plane crashes over the years around there, including like famous people like Steve Fawcett. Um, okay. Yeah, he had a plane crash, and they they didn't know what happened. But I think they finally found him. Yeah, but... he was.
1: Uh, that was a real mystery with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. I think that that was the guy. People were reporting like they saw him supposedly afterwards or something, or he came back. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I know. I don't know the all the details. I haven't really researched it too
6: hardcore. But
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I know there's definitely... some, there's a lot of strangeness around that. I, I don't remember yeah, the details yeah. of it, but.
6: Uh... So yeah, so those aspects make it. You know, make the sighting more interesting. And also, uh, the proximity to Area fifty one. I mean, you know, whatever they got going down there in Area fifty one is definitely within short range of the Sierra Nevadas, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. It's,
6: it's maybe like a little playground to test out their toys or something.
1: Well I know Ron Moorhead, he did his big Sierra 40s. Sounds. Yeah, yep. They were yeah. up there. So and he never used to talk about it, but lately he's been talking about how he's seen lights and stuff up there too. Yeah,
5: and
6: and it seems like a lot of people are talking about these orbs and lights. I mean, there's definitely something going on, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are you still in the area? Yeah, I'm still in the Bay Area. If if you get up there and and see anything else or anything else odd happens, let us know. Oh, definitely. I mean, I
6: definitely have some plans someday to do, do some investigating and stuff like that, but I just haven't really... Got it together, and I i don't think I have enough balls to go out by myself at night. So.
1: <laughs> well, it, for me, it depends on the area. There's there's uh, yeah. c- certain places I won't go alone.
6: Uh. Yeah, and
1: I definitely want to get back to Pennsylvania someday because
6: I went to Gettysburg mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and it was the craziest thing. I come back. I mean, when I go there, I'm a little kid. I don't know what's going on with the Civil War and what's Gettysburg and blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't really pay attention, you know, when I was there playing around all on um, Devil's Den, you know, and oh, yeah. like it's a jungle gym. And I come back and I'm just like, you know, I started become just in, just fascinated with the Civil War, just obsessed out of nowhere. So I have a lot of interest in definitely Pennsylvania, and, you know, the Civil War or UFOs or cryptozoology
1: and spirituality and Yeah, if you ever get back here, drop me a line. I'll meet up and we'll. we'll go. I definitely,
6: yeah. And uh, I forgot. Um, weren't you on
1: Wes's show once? I've been on Sasquatch Chronicles, I think, four times now. Yeah,
6: because I remember, like, you were. There was that one episode where you talked about the old stories of of things and like uh, around Gettysburg, like the Gettysburg gorilla.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm, yep.
6: That was really interesting. I liked hearing about that.
1: Yeah, I'm about to do a show, like some point coming up, where we talk about that. I'll go over all yeah. the, all the related articles and stuff for that whole gorilla flap That's yeah the Pennsylvania <laughs> gorilla flap they call it from the 20s so uh that'll probably end up being two or two shows at least uh, worth of.
6: I think know. yeah those old stories are so fascinating I mean there's so much to those times because it's like you know people are just it's basically like a young kid that they're just they're innocent and they just they tell the truth because mm-hmm. they don't know any better and yeah. back then and back then in those days they didn't have all this this influence of Government, you know, to tell the right story and stuff, and
1: right or or pop culture. I mean, they didn't know yeah, what, pop what a bigfoot too. was. They just exactly, you know, they just told what they saw. Yeah. So. All right, Matt. Thank you so much. Tim, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and keep up the good
6: work. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. Have a good night and
1: peace. All right, you as well. Thanks. Ooh. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. DarkHollerArts.com If you are on Facebook, check out the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We post stories and links to other podcasts we like. Listeners post their creations and discoveries, various related articles, and more. Intro and background music is by Stonebreath.
5: Stonebreath.bandcamp.com for more.